2: Ten more Premier League fixtures to get through on the Ultimate Preview, the game day podcast from TalkSport. Can Sheffield United revive themselves and end Manchester United's Champions League ambitions? Will Wolves emerge as Chelsea's stalkers for the top four? And can Franks Blues take advantage of City's quick turnaround and hand Liverpool the title? Also this week, how could a club of Arsenal's size slip out of the top half They could be leapfrogged by Newcastle this week. And Arteta, is it too quick to judge, or does four wins in 13 Premier League games set alarm bells ringing? All on the podcast that almost draws attention to itself as much as Mike Dean's lockdown beard, the Game Day Preview podcast from TalkSport.
0: This is
2: Game Day. Well, I enjoyed my time at Vicarage Road and Goodison Park uh, this week. Although Goodison Park was a little bit, uh, not as smooth as Vicarage Road and the Etihad where I had been before. There was a bit of sort of no one really knows what's going on here about it compared with the military operations elsewhere. I did have a steward who loved telling me to wait outside whilst the players arrived. But they were already in. Anyway, let's welcome a man who could hold up, spin in behind, and score a fair few too. A member of the Premier League 100 club, England international, and Talksport Breakfast co-presenter. It's Darren Ben. Hello.
3: I do, mate. You're up.
2: Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, lockdown seems to have treated you quite nicely. Not only have you become a star of the breakfast show, you're also looking fresh. You're looking good. I like it.
3: Well, listen. To be fair, I've been doing a lot of internet shopping. As you were, and I'm looking at, you know, I mean, the best jacket I can find. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I like to get a nice loud jacket yeah obviously I've not been able to have a chance to go to the barbers and that but that's coming 4th of July I think that's that's allowed to start getting haircuts. so and all, all in all I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with my, my lockdown period I'd say
2: okay uh, well Alex Crook is alongside us as well as always can I just ask you a quick question you cut your own hair did you or did
4: you ask your wife to cut yours Uh, I started to cut my own hair, and then my wife had to salvage it. I think she did okay, but this is the difference between me and Darren Bent, the ex-professional athlete. He's looking forward to the barbers' opening. I'm looking forward to getting my first proper pint in the pub on July the 4th. (laughs) (laughs) Barbers are going to be so over-employed, aren't they,
2: from July the 4th? Although I've got to this stage now where my hair is so long. In fact, one journalist, Rory Smith from the New York Times, looked at me and went, wow that is a main last night when we were at the uh <laughs> merseyside derby uh, i i just think how long can i get it you know sort of i, I want to cultivate it you know, a little so, bit i think you
3: should just let, let it grow just keep going and yeah. going you can go to the still barbers get it like trimmed up and neatened up but just yeah. let it grow so we, we can get it
2: yeah okay right let's go for it that can be our challenge over the rest of the season um okay so highlight of the
3: weekend for you darren I mean, listen, I think Newcastle's performance to get that three, uh, Joe Linton scoring, I mean, being a fellow striker as well, it was so good to see him get off the mark because he had that chance in the first half and I kind of put my head in my hands and thought, oh no. But for him to get that goal at the end, I think that's going to be real key and hopefully that can kickstart his season.
2: Okay, a 30-second review of the weekend from Alex Crook. Let me guess, Bruno Fernandes
4: is wonderful and the boy Solskjaer picked the wrong team. Uh, Yeah, that would about sum up Friday night. But no, listen, I was delighted for Graham Potter and for Brighton. I thought that was a fabulous win and it's going to give them so much momentum and so much confidence now to go on and secure their survival. I thought Wolves were excellent as well at West Ham, really impressed with their fitness levels and and the way they played West Ham off the park. We've been speaking on this podcast. I thought Wolves might be one of the teams who might struggle with Operation Restart. Not a bit of it, they were superb. Right, let's get to the previews.
1: Kane trying to shift the ball onto his right, forget the shot away. And he finds the corner again. Even a draw is not a good result for us. More danger, sun strike, citizen, and common lead. I think they are uh, good enough for not to have relegation problems. Diagonal to the left hand side, Philippe Anderson's taking it down brilliantly. Philippe Anderson is the box, chance to finish it. Anderson, 4 0. We've got to try and get everybody ready, firing, and pick up points. We've done it before, 1 0 last year. So we have to try and do that again.
2: Well, Tottenham didn't offer too much going forward, but looked a little bit sharper at the back, which was unexpected for me, actually, because I've been sort of quite critical of the way they've lined up defensively. But Jose reckons he'll have two more attacking players on the bench this Tuesday night for a game which is live on TalkSport, Tottenham against West Ham United. Deli Alli and Lucas Moura are likely to be back. What are you thinking here, Darren?
3: well first of all yeah I agree with what you're saying there some defensively when I first saw the team sheet against United I was a bit like oh this is going to be tough for them but to be fair I thought they defended really well Sanchez and Daira center half, I thought they were, they were fantastic um, but you're right it's, it's how the other end are they going to try and get their more attacking, influential players into the game. And I thought Harry Kane was very, very quiet. Still mm. trying to find his fitness, which is understandable. I know he had the long layoff before lockdown even started. So it takes a long time. It will take him two, three games, maybe even four games to get back to full sharpness. But you only get sharp by playing games. You've got to leave Harry Kane there. But you're right. It's how do you get like, Dele Delielli back into the side? Because I thought the team played really well. Like Especially in midfield. I thought Sissoko was brilliant. Bit of steel in there. Bit of grit and determination. But then you've got Son and Burkvine. Now, Burkvine was brilliant, scored a great goal and looked really sharp whenever he had the ball. But you've got to find a slot for me for Deli Alli. So I don't know who's going to get sacrificed there, but I'd like to see Deli Alli get, be in there from the start because I think the understanding, the chemistry between him and Harry Kane is crucial.
2: I bang on about this all the time, but they do this thing where they play a lopsided back four where... Ben Davis is almost a left-back stroke left centre-back and he sort of moves across to help out the two centre-halves. Serge Aurier, because he is a little bit of a liability, is given less responsibility in that regard. He's allowed to go on and bomb on further up the pitch. And the other three, as a result, shift across and, and fill the gap. And that's the way they get away with him being there because ultimately he is the only right back really at the club. So they, they have to play him. It's interesting you talk about Kane. Can you start him every single game, Crookie? Because yes, he's a goal machine. But would it not be more prudent to be a little bit more sparing with his usage? Because 170 days out before he played on Friday, and I'm not entirely sure, he, he looked fit enough to, to play the full 90.
4: Well, he didn't, did he? And if Gareth Southgate was watching that game, I'm sure he was, he would have been relieved that the European Championships aren't taking place as scheduled right now because both Harry Kane and Marcus Rashford, for me, back from long layoffs, looked a million miles off the pace. I'm not sure he will play against West Ham. I think he's asking an awful lot based on what we saw on Friday to play Friday and then again on Tuesday. And two quite high-intensity games, one against Manchester United, of course, bit of a grudge match for Jose. And Tottenham against West Ham is always a very feisty affair, even... Uh, without any spectators in the stadium. I was impressed with Aurier. Uh I'm not sure he's the best defender in the world, but I think he's second only now to Trent Alexander-Arnold in terms of assists from defenders. So credit to him for that. I think the game was there for Tottenham to win. I think the problem was they reverted to type Jose Mourinho once they got the 1-0 lead. He tried to sit back and then they weren't quite good enough for that. But I guess the question is if you, if Harry Kane doesn't play on Tuesday night, who does play up front? Maybe you could move uh, Stephen Bergwijn inside. He's been a really good signing since mm. he came in the January transfer window I think they will try and find a way to get Deli Ali back in the team so it's going to be fascinating to see what 11 Jose Mourinho picked yeah there's quite a few attacking options for Spurs even
2: though they didn't create too much in the game against Manchester United in contrast West Ham United only created one chance against Wolves missed it but had injuries galore. A few of those should be back, but they look like a team that is lacking in confidence for me, Darren. There's, there's good players in that squad. Anderson is a talented player. now's is a talented player. Jared Bowen works really hard. Lanzini's got talent in his boots, so is Yarmolenko, but maybe there's not enough legs, there's not enough cojones, there's not enough heart, there's not enough leadership in that squad to drag them away from the danger zone.
3: Yeah 100% Sammy right I think what they lack really is real hunger and desire for some of them players like you need more Mark Nobles Declan Rice's Mikel Antonios maybe rather than like Lanzinis and Felipe Andersons cuz these guys are talented as you said there Lanzini good, very good player. Philippe Anderson, Jan Benenko. These These guys have got these, this X factor where they can produce anything special at any given moment. But I think that what's happened with West Ham is that with these players you're seeing way too many 4 out of 10s. Like they might produce a 9 out of 10 once every 10 games and that's not enough for a team like West Ham, which is why they're in the, the bottom 4-5. So when you need to find somehow, get some like kind of steel in there. But first and foremost, I like the Bowen sign, signing because for me, he's a typical type David Moyes player. Works really hard He's determined to do really well he might not be having his best game but one thing you can rely on is that he's going to work hard for his mm. team he's going to keep running he's going to become a nuisance Antonio as well do you know what I mean he's big powerful always ne- never stops running keeps working hard and I think you need more of these type players and I just fear that while obviously th- there's no fans in the stadium I just fear that when West Ham come, th- come down to some of these games where they've got to work really hard it's going to be quite tough and it might be touch and go about who's going to get it I just worry about what characters they've got in the dressing rooms that are really prepared to roll up their sleeves and, and really give it a really good go. Because like I only see two or three of them in that squad. Whereas, as I said, I see people like Philippe Anderson, Lanzini, these guys, like luxury players. If your team's playing really well, then ah oh, fabulous. But when you need that kind of gutsy determination, I'm not quite sure West Ham have got too many of them in their squad.
2: Uh, West Ham captain Mark Noble said that he would have rather actually faced Spurs three months ago when... They were without some key players like Son and Harry Kane, obviously. But I think they need to focus on their own issues, as you've already articulated. And David Moyes himself has got some some pondering to do because he's won two Premier League games in the 11 Premier League matches that he's taken charge of since returning uh, to the London Stadium. I know he's got to deal with the pack that he has been dealt with. I mean, has he actually got the players to get himself out of this situation, Crook, or, or is he guilty with his
4: tactics of not bringing the best out of them? What's what's the view? Do you think? Well, on paper, the squad is talented enough. There's no doubt about that. That they, they, they shouldn't be down there in the first place. But Darren's right to put the emphasis on the number of flair players they've got, and maybe as a result, the lack of heart in the team. But I think they're going to just about be okay because there will be three worse teams than West Ham but that new manager bounce they were hoping for when they reappointed David Moyes hasn't happened and it's going to be really interesting to see what he does in the summer to revamp that squad it's disjointed for me, it's unbalanced there's too many number 10s they're defensively shaky I think there's a lot of problems there, I really do 8.15 kick-off on Tuesday night it is Tottenham against West Ham
2: United it's live on midweek game day
1: Is there any any chances talking about
4: that or what? That is all I'm looking at. I'm not looking at anything else. Um, If it gets to the situation uh, that we're we're one or two games out and we're still in a fantastic position, then we'll possibly talk about that. But at this this particular moment, we've got a quarter of the season to go. I'm sure that you've seen uh, the fixture list And uh, I'm sure you you, you recognise and that there's some incredible challenges in front of us. Chris Wilder doesn't want to talk about
2: Europe, doesn't want to discuss the first half of the season. Is he right to dismiss those things, Darren? Or is he just frustrated and maybe even feeling a little bit of pressure? I can understand why he's a little bit irked by some of the decisions that have gone against him since the restart. But his team create nothing.
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, the the, the game against Aston Villa, it was there for all to see that it should have been a goal. You, You can't hide that fact, but... At the minute with, with Chris Wilder, before the lockdown, defensively, they were so strong. I mean, I know, listen, I know they've, they've lost a couple of players. I think Jack O'Connell, he's, he's, not, been, he's not been there and he's mm. a big, big player for them. But at the minute, they seem defensively so frail. Like against Newcastle, I've never seen a Chris Wilder side, well, not for a long time, be so open. And this is before they even had, went down to 10 men. Like St. Maximum had a few opportunities. Almiron was running wild. Joe Linton had the big chance at the very start when he, he kind of went to side for it and he, he kind of hit both feet and the keeper saved it. But yeah, that was understand. that moment when we're all
2: laughing at Joe Linton and, and going, you know, he, oh, he's, he's missed another great chance or whatever. And in fact, someone sort of sent me a tweet saying, "Oh, Joe Linton," and I went, "Yeah, he is bad." And then about ten minutes later, he's got John Egan sent off and he scored the clinching goal.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, being a fellow striker, I'm so glad that he got his goal. But you're right; when he missed that chance, it was a bit like, "Oh no, here we go again." But as far as Chris Wilder, I mean, I'm sure he's trying to manage expectation. But it was probably hard for him before the lockdown for him to be able to do that because Sheffield United were getting all the, the plaudits. I you mean know, defensively they were I think they kept one of the I think it was only Liverpool have kept more clean sheets than them everyone was playing well they were talking about some of their players representing England and him being manager of the year and ever since after lockdown they've seemed, they've seemed to come away from their principles so I, I guess it's a, a little bit of pressure has got to the players but as I said they've, they've lost key players and also but I think they need to get back to what they were doing from before lockdown because defensively as I said they were so strong before but they've come out in these two games against Villa and um, Newcastle and they complete opposite, so I think they need to get back to the basics.
2: Manchester United's technical f- uh, flexibility was a great asset on Friday Night Crook um, and with Chelsea playing against Manchester City and potentially dropping points, I mean you, it, it's quite a, a high possibility that they
4: will do. This is a game that Manchester United have to win, isn't it? 100%, especially having watched um, Newcastle against Sheffield United for TalkSport International of the weekend. They were really poor, Sheffield United, I think, in without the sending off Newcastle would have gone on to win win the game pretty comfortably. But Luke Shaw hit the nail on the head for me. He's come out and said after the Tottenham game, it's great that United have extended their unbeaten run, but they need to start turning some of those draws into wins because they're running out of games now to make up the gap on Chelsea. I think at home against the Sheffield United side who are stuttering, they have to go for the jugular. For me, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has to find a way to get Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes in the same team. I thought they were sensational when they linked up on Friday night. I was surprised that Pogba didn't start the game. Again, he's got the same problem with Marcus Rashford that Tottenham got at Harry Kane because I thought he looked really off the pace. And I wonder, would he play this midweek? The issue they've got there is that if Marcus Rashford doesn't score, you're reliant on Anthony Martial. And he was a spectator on Friday. He has good games. He has bad games. He's not consistent enough. Maybe Igalo might get a, a go from the start against Sheffield United and maybe try and bully them. But I think Pogba and Fernandez will play together. And I think United have to win the game if they don't. I think the top four is probably gone
2: Uh, Greenwood scored against Sheffield United didn't he earlier in the season he's another candidate for that role Um, can you start Fernandes and Pogba in the same team without sacrificing the defensive solidity Darren how does he find a formula to get both those two into the starting 11
3: well first and foremost in the, in the middle of the park I, I would be able to get them in there because I just think all you need is you get Pogba and Bruno Fernandes like in your two advanced midfielders but whoever get, is the responsibility that is behind them whether it be Fred McTominay Matic they cannot move they can't venture forward either they've got to be the anchor in that midfield and I think as long as you've got that protection in front of that back four because we've seen with some of the top teams over the years let I me mean, Makaleli made it his own role you just sit there and protect that back four Kante does it really well and Didier at Watford, uh, um, at Leicester, sorry, to just sit and protect in front of that back four. And if you've got someone who's willing to do that and just sit there, then you can let Bruno Fernandes go and express himself. And and to be fair, Pogba, I wouldn't say he's the same kind of attacking midfield player that Bruno Fernandes is, because Bruno Fernandes will get obviously right up in the mix into the box, whereas Pogba kind of just will just hang kind of outside the box. It's not like he's going to go wandering into the box. So as long as you've got that kind of anchor and that protection in front of that back four, then it's perfect to let them two go on and do their stuff.
4: I think it comes down to ambition. If you actually want to start winning games and not just not losing matches, you have to go on the front foot. It's always been the way at Old Trafford. Attack, attack, attack. And by sending out a team with Fernandes and Pogba in midfield, you're sending out a message, we are going to try and win this game. And I think against Sheffield United, they should be good enough to do that, especially the Sheffield United that we've seen since the restart but take nothing away from Chris Wilder's side by the way they haven't finished in the top 10 in the top flight for 45 years they should do that yeah. they've already got more points this Premier League season than in any of their three previous campaigns they might not pick up many wins between now and and the end of the uh, revised season that doesn't mean it hasn't been a terrific year for them yeah it has been I mean taking
2: chances has got to be important for them though Sheffield United they created zip against Aston Villa they created nothing against Newcastle expected goals 0.54 and 0.57 and missing the ones that they do create and they need to to find a solution for that if they are to pick up any more points between now and the end of the season and David De Gea will have been affected by uh, a a bit of Roy Keane acidic critique that saw him go full Alan Brazil. I don't think I've ever uh, seen anybody go that red. I knew that Roy Keane was red through and through, but that's uh, that's some shade. Do you think that players nowadays, David De Gea, will be affected by what Roy Keane has said, Darren? I mean, obviously, in social media nowadays, by the time they get on the bus, he, he would have been fully aware of what was being said about him.
3: Yeah, do you know what? I think... With Roy Keane critiquing David De Gea and and Maguire, like first and foremost, Maguire has got to defend better anyway. Burke Vine went past him, like he wasn't even there. And he, this is talk about one of the was he record defender for a price tag, so that can't happen. And De Gea knows he's been a top goalkeeper, but he knows full well that he should keep that out of the net. So again, when Roy Keane's talking about the mistakes that the goalkeeper in the centre half's made yes, it's true. But I think the, the point where I think the player will affect a player will be when Roy starts talking about how he would be swinging punches. I think that's when you, you've got to draw the line. I think certain players in certain situations, especially some of the ones I would have played with, probably would have gotten the phone to Roy and said, listen, what do you mean you'd be punching, swinging punches and stuff? They wouldn't have accepted that. I mean, I don't think Maguire and De Gea are that type of person, but I think when you cross over the line and start talking about you know physically punching somebody, I think that's when you overstep the mark a little bit. But you're right in what you're saying there, Sam, is that these players would have known it. When had their showers and they got their phone out it would have been all over their phone social media so they would have known what to expect would you have phoned him I wouldn't have phoned him no I'm not, I'm not brave enough but I'm sure this, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not brave enough I know, I know a couple of guys that I did play with but as soon as they would have I know, I know guys I played with guys in my career but he was but
2: your coach I- as well remember Roy Keane
3: he was, but still, I, I've played with guys that even if a pundit had said they had a bad game, didn't say about punching or anything, just had a bad game, didn't play very well, they'd be on the phone to them saying, well, who, who do you think you are? Like, right about, you never made a mistake. So as I said, it's um, I, oh, I understand the whole critiquing about the save and the defending, but I think you cross the line a little bit when you start talking about it, you'd be throwing punches in the changing room.
4: David De Gea has become the master of that perplexed look as a goal goes by him that was blatantly his fault. It was to say, what happened there? What, sorry, mate, it's happening on a regular basis. He was rubbish at the World Cup. He was rubbish last season. He's been rubbish this season. And it's a problem for Manchester United because their best goalkeeper is on loan at Sheffield United. They've given David De Gea a new contract. If that stunts the development of Dean Henderson, they end up selling him to another club. What does that say about the long term planning? Because he should be Manchester United number one, if not next season, then certainly by the year after.
2: You've gone almost as red as Roy King.
5: Milavojevic is eyeing up a very
4: inviting gap to the right of the wall and he curls it over the top and it's a brilliant finish from Luka Milavojevic. that's why he's been brought back into this Crystal Palace team for set-piece quality like that Oh, given away by Simpson and one by Marnie, edge of
2: the area Oh, he puts it behind Sela who had the great chance to shoot he does manage to get the shot away and score and level things up for Liverpool
4: and Joel Ward
2: Side steps King and clips it wide towards Kuyate. clever dummy from him to create the space for Zaha now. Down the left-hand side van Arnholt on the overlap is in behind
4: Harry Wilson. A low ball across the face of goal, and Ayu is there to slide in the second. A brilliant Crystal Palace goal, and Bournemouth there were simply chasing shadows. It's been a dreadful start to the resumption for them, but Crystal Palace heading for four successive victories.
2: Liverpool weren't sharp enough in attack against Everton they were blocked up down the flanks where a lot of their danger comes from Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold couldn't get into the game Milner playing at left back instead of Robertson didn't quite work out he ended up having to be substituted Joe Gomez actually performed better there when he came on and Palace will be more than happy to sit back be organised defend for their lives
3: yeah of course I mean losing Robertson was a was a big blow because you lose that natural balance where you've got Trent on the one side and Robertson naturally two like wingers but I mean, I've heard people talk about that he was he was a bit major factor of Robinson not being there. But for me, it's, it's Mo Salah. I mean, I, I understand that he wasn't there and he was on the bench and he did not to even bring him on. But Mo Salah's just got that kind of expert, that, that little bit of X factor where he's got that goal for it. He can do something that's a bit magical, like get the ball to him. I know he misses a lot of chances and at times can be a little bit greedy, but he still offers that goal for it. He still scores an awful amount of goals. I mean, I don't think this season has been one of his best by some distance. But as I said, he's still got a very fair few amount of goals so I think you're right Crystal Palace have got the perfect players in this situation to kind of just sit back in because defensively again they're very strong like Roy Hodgson defensive minded coach um, will have them really really well organised and when you've got people like Jordan I who's got a bit of pace for Zahar they can, they can catch Liverpool in the counter attack if Liverpool just kind of bombard them keep going forward forward and forward that will leave gaps for Crystal Palace so it should be an interesting game and I don't think it's going to be a foregone conclusion that Liverpool win this because as I said the way Liverpool play might just play into Crystal Palace's hands
2: and um- you mentioned uh, having the X Factor. The X Factor apparently is coming back very soon. They, they can start recording all these reality TV shows. And as someone who has been That's on news. celebrity uh, TV shows, reality shows, sorry, you, you might be able to get this question right. It's okay. Would you think about going on X Factor after your mastermind experience?
3: Listen, there's still one or two uh, reality shows that I thought, hmm, would I do that one? Oh, which ones? Which ones? That, that, that would not be one of them. Sam, listen to me, right? I got, I got an email saying, would I consider maybe trying out for uh, Dancing on Ice? I you, said no. You've got to do that. You've got no, to I do that. Not. No, I have not. We would have so much fun.
4: Nope. The well, after yeah, parties luck, are luck. good, Darren. I can yeah, vouch luck, for that.
3: Spent, and plus, I don't want to get divorced. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, We would
2: have so much fun. You know, the bar afterwards is a cracking place to be. No, Sam.
3: We're in that light, and trying to, you know, what I mean, do all these these fancy moves, and that's not it's not me that
2: you don't have to go for a couple of weeks anyway. You just go out, take the check, and just have fun. Yeah, no, nah. no, I th- no, I'll think about it. I yeah. think about it. See, I've convinced him. Oh, this is going to be a world exclusive. You get to share a bowl of twiglets with one of the Chuckle Brothers in the bar afterwards. That's one of my career highlights. <laughs> Um, we talked about the missing Robertson. I just wonder whether or not when you look back at the, uh, the, I mean, this season obviously is not going to matter for Liverpool, but when you look going forward into the new season, whether or not they need to strengthen those full positions
4: because when Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't there and when Robertson isn't there, there's not much backup, is there? Well, the issue is their whole game plan is so built around those two fullbacks, So when one of them is missing, they need to find a plan B. But I actually think Liverpool stuttering over the finishing line might be one of the themes of Operation Restart. It must be really difficult. Maybe Darren can give us an insight into this. When you know the job is pretty much done, there's no real emphasis on them to go out and go all guns blazing and score three or four goals and keep racking up the wins. They know that if they just keep not losing, sooner or later the title will be theirs. Is it not inevitable, Darren? They're going to lose a little bit of the intensity that's been their trademark under Jurgen Klopp?
3: A little bit, yeah. But I think when you've got a manager like Jurgen Klopp, and it depends what Jurgen Klopp's saying. And I know he, he gives us all the the speeches and stuff. But what he's saying in the dressing room, you, you just don't know. But you'd like to think, with his intensity as he is as a coach, that the players would be right at it as well. And I think it's just a little bit of rust. I mean, listen. Certainly, if I was playing still now, um, and the, the job was nearly done, me being a centre forward, I'm I'm thinking, well, I want, I'm trying to get the golden boot. I'm trying to score as many goals as possible. So I'm still going full throttle. But obviously, some players might be like, well, you know what? You, some might be carrying injuries and thinking, well, the job's nearly done. Everyone in every team has got some kind of self-preservation, kind of preservation, kind of motivation that they want to get out for themselves. And I said, me being a centre-forward, I'm going right to the last day of the season at full throttle because I'm thinking, I want to keep racking up more goals, more goals, more accolades. And, and that's, how, that's how you've got to be. I'm sure if Mo Salah was playing yesterday, would have gone on the pitch, he'd have been trying to score as many goals as possible because he wants to try and win that golden boot.
2: Um, I don't know If you heard the brass section At Goodison Park At the weekend We had an odd saxophonist Playing Baker Street And Love Will Tear Us Apart On repeat uh, Over and over again He only had two songs And he just kept playing them Back to back to back on For his, 90 minutes yeah, yeah for 90 minutes literally non-stop I don't even no one could find where he was He wasn't in the stadium it must have been just outside but he was just playing and it wasn't particularly great to be honest with you I mean it was in keeping really because there was a lot of huff and puff but everything was just slightly out of tune
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch with the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on talk sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18, plus, be gamble aware.org. T's and C's apply.
2: On to Chelsea versus Manchester City. Um, maybe this is me being cynical. But there was a lot of talk about Liverpool winning uh, the title against Everton. I didn't ever think that that would happen because Manchester City were playing Arsenal in their game back. Crystal Palace was the one I'd picked and and, and that's the game that I'm going to because I thought that was going to be the moment that they, they pick up the title. But do you know what? I'm so sure now, and I don't think this has been the general consensus, that Chelsea are going to win Liverpool the title by getting something off City on Thursday. Are you saying you only turn up at the big games? <laughs> No, no, I was just, you know, I I thought this was going to be the, the moment that they lifted the trophy or, or was secured the title and we wanted to be there for that but I don't think that's going to happen now and I do think that it's it's, it's possible. Now, if Chelsea don't win, the early momentum that they, they got this weekend could be sort of gone and dissipated and let's not pretend that they were perfect in that game. They bossed it completely against Aston Villa but didn't test Neuland enough for me and, and conceded another sloppy goal. Um, it lapses that won't be permitted, Darren, against Manchester City.
3: I know, because Manchester City are ruthless. But I think out of all the teams that have performed... since this lockdown period came back, you'd have to say Manchester City looked the the most accomplished. I mean, it was straight out of a training ground, exercise. the game, the way they pass and move. It was exactly like you do on the training ground. They were absolutely fantastic. But Chelsea have got to use that momentum. Do I think they can beat Manchester City? I'm not quite sure. I still think Manchester City will will get that result because I think they've handled the occasion probably better than anyone. And as you said there, for all the good play that Chelsea did against Aston Villa, kept possession, worked it really, really well. There wasn't that that many efforts on goal. So that's a real concern. Does he bring Tammy back? I mean, he's got. I mean, listen, he's got a, a squad to choose from, some real talented players there. But to say that they that they could probably possibly beat Manchester City at the Bridge, I, I think Manchester City, as I said, have handled the situation better than anybody. said so they look right at home playing with no fans. So I'm not quite sure Chelsea will get something there.
4: I thought it was interesting just how much intensity they played with, particularly in the first game back after lockdown. And do you know why? I think it might be Pep Guardiola, particularly when he was manager at Bayern Munich, he knows how difficult it it is if you go into a big Champions League game undercooked, that the players can suddenly go from first gear to fifth gear. I think he's determined to get Manchester City to the boil right in time for that mini tournament when the Champions League resumes. So I I think we're going to actually see Manchester City putting some teams to the sword quite dramatically between now and the end of the season. Do you think, though, they'll have to heavily rotate again because they're playing... A third
2: and then a fourth game in ten days with their FA Cup fixture coming up at the weekend, Darren.
3: Yeah, I think the FA Cup. No disrespect to the FA Cup, but I think Manchester City will play a lot of their kind of second string, which is still probably most teams' first string. So I think in that in them regards, I think they'll be fine. But I, I think I agree with Crookie there. And what he's saying is that he, they want to win that Champions League. We don't know what's going on with them next season with the Champions League. So I think he's going to begin hell for leather to try and get it, it done this year. And I think he knows, especially in that Champions League, if you go into the like I did against against Spurs in that first leg, they went in there. And even in the second leg, to be fair, they didn't really get out the the traps too quickly and Spurs, bang, bang, all of a sudden squad two and it's uphill battle. So I do think you're right. The next couple of games are going to really start putting some teams to the sword. And I think by the time uh, the Champions League comes around, they'll be at absolute maximum capacity, I think.
2: Okay, time for our 45 seconds, no notes preview. The rivalry roulette that tests our experts' knowledge. Darren, are you confident about this?
3: Yep, let's go looking forward to it
2: okay Lucy the producer will randomly draw out each of the three matches she's allocated for one of us to preview turn by turn in 45 seconds Lucy what you got for us
6: okay so this week I don't have my plant pot because I couldn't bring it into work without giving getting funny looks okay so I go for some jumbled up paper on the desk,
2: okay? Could, could have you not got like a randomizer, uh, on, on an app or something like that? You're so adept with these sort of uh, technological solutions to your love life, so I thought maybe you could uh try and sort out a randomizer app, maybe?
6: Right, we I, I talk, spoke to you about this, don't bring up Tinder again, <laughs> first of all. Secondly, it's just nice to have the paper in it. It's nice sounding as well. Oh,
2: yeah. Okay, good
4: sound effects. Lucy, walk into the office, tell the boss no expense spared here. We want our own velvet bag. We want our own nice shiny balls that we can do this properly like they do in the FA Cup. Go on, go and do it now.
6: (laughs) Right, have we finished faffing around and can I start this now?
4: Yeah, go for it. (laughs) So grumpy.
6: Sam, (laughs) you're first. Oh, right. And you've got Norwich v Everton. Time starts now.
2: Um, neither of these two really have got anything to play for because Everton, who I thought actually did very well defensively against Liverpool on Sunday evening, probably can't get into the European places, unlikely to uh, leapfrog those above them especially the likes of Wolverhampton for Hampton Wanderers and Manchester United um, Norwich I think are down uh, their performance on Friday night against Southampton was nothing short of abysmal, they'll be better in the game against uh, uh, Everton but they haven't got much chance of breaking down that defensive if, if Carlo Ancelotti has got them as well drilled as he had them for the Merseyside derby, they do sometimes have lapses in co- uh, concentration as was shown just before lockdown when they lost 4-0 to Chelsea but ultimately I think they'll be too strong for a Norwich team who defensively look weak um, don't finish many chances don't create many chances and Calvert-Lewin will certainly fancy it against that back line only Alisson stopped him from scoring on uh, Sunday night and earning the toffees three points in the derby so I think they're expected to travel down to Norfolk and come back with th- the three points and a few more goals right, Is
3: that, going is on it for a,
2: an extra ten seconds again I can't a, I, what, 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 how do I know or... I haven't got a timer how am I supposed
4: to know she shouted stop
2: Oh, I didn't hear that. Gee. It, it, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. You, you, you need to get a little bit more authority with your voice. You could just
4: time yourself like I'm going to do. Look, you've got a stopwatch on your phone. Just press start and stop, mate.
2: It's pretty
6: easy. Like oh, look at that.
4: Another one with to- technological solutions to everything.
6: Right, Crook, you're next. Oh, come on. And I think you'll be happy with this one. I won't claim it's a fix. You've got Leicester v Brighton. And Excellent. Time Now,
4: I think this is a fascinating game. As I've already mentioned, I think Brighton and the confidence they'll take from that last scuff, from that last gasp victory against Arsenal, they should really go on now. They're five points clear of the relegation places. They should be looking up the table, not down it. Leicester may be a little bit ring rusty in their game against Watford. I think Graham Potter will go there with a game plan. We'll try and soak up pressure, hit on the counter-attack. Neil Mopay tends to be a player who gets his goals in streaks as well. So I think he could be a thorn in the Leicester City defence. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a shock result here. I'm not sure Brighton are quite good enough to go and win the game, but I think they can certainly go there and get something from it. And again, the confidence that would give them, what a restart that would be for Graham Potter, who's had the time during the break to work on his principles, get the players playing he wants them to. I think good thing is ahead for the Seagulls.
3: Extra five seconds there. Okay. <laughs> and, and he's got the watch as well. So.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Crook, I think maybe you should time yourself. I don't know if you <laughs> I allow for the little stutter in the middle. Oh yeah yeah because you want her to edit it to make it make you sound better she's not going to do that by the way
6: <laughs> right Darren you have Southampton V Arsenal any time starts now
3: uh, Southampton versus Arsenal, it should be a real fascinating game. I mean Arsenal on a dismal run at the minute. Back to back defeats looked less than impressive against Brighton, had the opportunities but didn't take them So many different factors in the Arsenal squad with the David Louise situation, the Ozil situation, and Bamiang with his contract wants more money. So I think that might play against them. Southampton on the other hand had a fantastic result against Norwich, completely dismantled them Danny Ings looks as sharp as he did before the lockdown. You always kind of worry about when you have a long layoff, can you come back the same player? Would well, he to me look better than he did before in the lockdown? Nathan Redmond's now starting to find his form. Um, and it coincided with Ralph Hasen, who signing his new contract. I think that was important. He said he wanted to make sure they were mathematically safe before he signed it, but he's obviously been convinced to sign it now and it seems to be absolutely massive because, to me, Southampton looked like they The way they finished oh. lockdown...
1: Stop
2: there. Look at that. Oh, it, 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 it was brilliant. It, not only did he fill the time, no fluffs, he just went straight through it and picked out the key points. By the way, I do think Danny Ings will be licking
4: his lips at playing against oh, that Arsenal defence. I'm there for talk sport. I'm really looking forward to it. I think, again, Arsenal could be on the end of the one of the stories of this round of midweek fixtures. Darren, the wrong you, would, reasons. you would love to play against that Arsenal defence.
3: I promise you, Sam, right? And this is no word of a lie. Even from when I was playing from, say, from 2000, I'd say from 2008 onwards, even I'd scored against Arsenal but previous to that, before that, every time you used to come up against Arsenal even though they were the top teams defensively you'd always go you know what I've got a chance here I know I'm going to get at least something they'll give me they'll have, they might have loads of possession and it might look pretty but at some stage there'll be a lapse in concentration and you'll get a chance on, and it's about whether I took it or not but the difference is that now is that they're not even playing that free-flowing football so you can take that out of the equation and still defensively they're poor
4: it's amazing, isn't it, when you think that their success under George Graham and to a larger extent, Arsene Wenger was built on that famous back five and the defence that Wenger assembled as well, the invincibles of Lauren and, and Sol Campbell and Colo Torre and Ashley Cole. I mean, none of these defenders they've got now fit to lace those players' boots. They just haven't resolved it. And it's been going on year after year yeah. after year. If David Luiz is the answer, by the way, what on earth is the question?
3: Sam, crookie, I always thought, you know when Arteta got the job, I was, uh, and obviously Ancelotti went to Everton, I thought they got it the wrong way round. Too, too. I thought Ancelotti, Ancelotti should have gone to Arsenal and Arteta should have gone to Everton.
4: Yeah, I think I said as much on, on this podcast. It was a, It was a bit of a glamour appointment in that he used to be an Arsenal player one of our own it really it's a it's a really bad situation.
2: Son, Mane, Rashford just three of the big tips from Andrew Butler last week on the game day pod extra. Anyway uh, he is back to serve up more data driven dishes of fantasy gems. Uh, Dream Team's Andrew Butler how are you and how are your student
5: digs? Very well, thank you, Sam. Yeah, um, student digs still here, still living here. Good, and um, and there's a man scraping some weeds outside, which is uh, really adds to the environment of uh, of textbook broadcasting. Okay, bet they're, they're
2: scraping it than smoking it. Um, right, let's get to uh, Butler's Banker.
5: Yeah, um, Raul Jimenez for me this weekend. Um, he's got 19 goals in all competitions. Kind of, I think slightly goes under the radar about how good a striker he, he actually is. Very, very tasty 13 points coming at the weekend. Um, no thanks to Adama Traore um, being, being fantastic off the bench once again. But Jimenez has got 186 points, which moves him into the third highest scoring striker on the game. And he's shown form that will be, I think, incredibly encouraging for Wolves as they push for a, a European place.
3: I really like Jimenez I think he's brilliant I mean he works really really hard he's got a great understanding with him and Jotter have got a really good connection I mean he's always putting himself in there where, where it hurts like in the six-yard box getting his goals but not only that as well the way he brings others into play his work rate I mean he's an absolute joy to watch and I think the only concern I guess for Wolves is can they keep hold of him and will Wolves' ambition match his own because obviously I know he'd want to play in the Champions League but if Wolves don't get there I'm sure there's are going to be other top clubs looking at him because I think he's got all the attributes and all the ability to go to right to the very top.
2: Do you think that he will end up leaving or do you think he'll stay? Because ultimately, at the moment, Wolves look a more accomplished outfit than any of those in the, in the, in the top four who he has been linked with.
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, Wolves have had a fantastic season. I really like what Nuno's doing down there. But at the same time, it, it might not come from this country. It might be from another country, one of the top boys from another country. So I just think that, if Wolves get into the, the Champions League this season I think yeah he'll be happy with that but if they finish in the Europa and he plays another season in the Europa I mean he stocks really high right now do you know what I mean and as a striker that's the kind of things you've got to weigh up you think right in, even though you believe in yourself I can keep scoring goals right now his stock is so high that it's well do I go now or do I wait a little bit and then see what happens so he's got kind of decisions to make but as I said right now he's been brilliant for Wolves
2: okay let's move on to Butler's Beauty who you got for us
5: well, this man is uh, is is a favourite of mine, as I've been saying most of the season as well. But Alan San-Maximan, oh, Maximan, um, yeah. two point nine million in the game. He's moved on to sixty nine points, scored eight points at the weekend with a a superb performance over Sheffield United. And Matt Ritchie got star man um, against Sheffield United um, and scored fifteen points, which was top really? score in all of Dream Team this weekend. Um, but Sam Maximan is just newcastle's key man and he's proved it once again he was um, he was absolutely brilliant such a joy to watch as well and um yeah it looks like he's actually getting that consistency that people have been talking about the stuff that he needs to to to, to push on in his game but um yeah what a return really for, for newcastle and what a return for him
2: He dresses like a boss as well doesn't he? i
5: love that yeah. uh butler's big bet Um, Yeah, well, look, okay, an apology from me to Crystal Palace, because I said last week that um, their players are just not worth getting in. I mentioned that Jordan Ayew, possibly, but... I used twelve points, moved him into the hundred club for the season. Look He's at in that. at two point eight million, still reasonably priced. If you think Palace might make that unlikely charge for Europe, but you know I held my hands up to Crystal Palace fans, which includes my mother. Um, the, <laughs> their, their, their players are, uh, are, are might be worth uh, looking at because they were actually I thought really good against Bournemouth. I know Bournemouth were were not great, but um, I, I quite enjoyed watching Pilot Palace at the weekend.
2: Okay, last week we outlawed. Butler's badden because it was just poorly named (laughs) so we came up with Butler's block tackle um, someone that you're going to intervene before you even put him
5: in your team yeah well I wish I'd done this a bit earlier um, and this is a personal one for me but John Egan Whoa. in the game at 2.9 million got minus five points this weekend due to being sent off against Newcastle and I've got him in my team oh. I've had him in my team for, for, for quite some months now um, but I'm going to get rid as soon as I can He's usually so reliable thank you thank you Sam cheers
2: Three more games to look at on the Ultimate Preview, the Game Day Preview podcast from TalkSport. We've got live commentaries this week across the TalkSport network. Go to TalkSport.com to find out the schedule. Darren Bent, the former English striker, and Alex Crook are with me. Uh, Let's have a look at Wolves against Bournemouth. And uh, Crook, I know that you were particularly upset about Bournemouth's performance on Saturday evening. Did you see that coming after trumpeting Eddie Howe's coaching
4: abilities? No, I really didn't. And, and I don't know about Eddie himself, but I feel proper mugged off by what I saw in that game. For weeks now, including on this very podcast, I've been telling anyone who'll listen that Bournemouth will be one of the big winners for, from Operation Restart. They've got the majority of their injured players back. They've had time to regroup. I thought, as a supposed footballing side, in inverted commas, that the behind closed doors scenario would play to their strengths. How wrong was I? Uh, we all know Bournemouth is famous for miles and miles of sandy beaches. Their players may as well have come on wearing Bermuda shorts and flip-flops on Saturday. For that opening 25 minutes in particular, you'd never have guessed which of the teams were fighting for survival. Palace were organised, they were disciplined, they were hungry. All of the things that Bournemouth weren't. And never mind about Ryan Fraser not being committed to the Cherries' cause. You could level that at probably 10 of the 11 players. I would make an exception for David Brooks, who was quite scathing of his team's performance after full-time. You could see his frustration on the pitch as well. And I find it all really sad having witnessed at first hand their miracle climb from League Two and the brink of bankruptcy into the Premier League. They've been there for five seasons. The thought they're going to go down with a whimper is really depressing. And I think too many of their players there are starting to believe their own hype. They've got a lot of people on massive contracts who just aren't delivering and aren't putting a shift in. They've got a horrible run of fixtures as well. And unless those players wise up quickly, they are going back down. There is no question about that. And that was shocking, wasn't it? It was just dreadful. Uh, I
2: thought, especially down the right hand side, Harry Wilson looked to me like he was off the pace. Jack Stacey didn't seem to know where he was supposed to be, especially for that IU goal. They were defensively so misshapen. Um, But they've got Wolverhampton Wanderers away from home in (sighs) midweek. Darren, and and Wolves, we've spoken about Jimenez already and his impact, but defensively, I mean, if if Bournemouth were struggling to break down Crystal Palace, they ain't going to have too much joy against a Wolverhampton Wanderers team that don't concede many goals
3: either. No, you're right. You know, I mean, Connor Cody, fantastic, Bolly, um, Doherty at the back as well. Them, them three have been absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's so tough to break down as you said, and and when you add that to the mix of them going forward, you'd have to say that it's going to be a real tough game for Bournemouth. I mean, you, you look at what Wolves brought on, Neto and Adama Traore. You now they they could just turn games quite quickly as they did when they came on. So I, I fully expect Wolves to win this, and and this is probably the, the, the worst matchup that Bournemouth could possibly arcs to come up against because defensively they're quite suspect Bournemouth but Wolves going forward on their counter-attack as well and as we've just spoke about there when you put on someone like Adama Troy when you're already tired a mindset of a defender is like your are tired and you're looking at who they're bringing on, and you start thinking, right, how can we kind of like see the game out? Then you see him coming on the sideline mm. and he just gives them that dimension, that pace. And with Neto coming in from the other side as well, I mean, he's done a fantastic job Numo Nuno getting some of these players together, and even Diego Jota as well, who I'm a big, big fan of as well. Do you know what I mean? They've got so many different attacking options that if if one week Jimenez and Jota does not score, you're right, you've got a Dharma and Neto coming on and or Martino from midfield affecting the game. So I fully expect Wolf to win this quite comfortably.
4: There's a big stat that's against Bournemouth of their last six Premier League games when they've had more than 50% possession. They've lost every one. They've scored once. They've conceded by the bucket load. Wolves have given up more than 50% of possession in each of their last four Premier League home games. They love to hit on the counter attack. You can only see one way this is going. Uh, we mentioned last
2: week on the pod that they come strong in the second half of matches as well. And the fact that there's no crowd at Molyneux means that they can almost play it like an away game. Uh, Newcastle against Aston Villa. Uh, quickly, Alex Crook on that one. Newcastle have got Steve Bruce in charge. And, and Steve obviously was the former Villa manager until about 18 months ago. I think he'll be quite keen to try and get one over on Aston Villa. And let's be honest, the pressure is absolutely well and truly off Brucey, isn't it?
4: Well, it's not off him in the sense that I think he's still got a point to prove to any prospective new owners between now and the end of the season. A, a 3 0 win at home, first game back, is is the perfect way to start that. But yeah, I think he will want to get one over Aston Villa. It didn't end particularly well there. Did it with a cabbage being thrown at him as, it, as he made his way down the touchline. I think he's done well with that Newcastle squad. I think in Joe Ellington, he's got a 40 million pound striker who looks like a four pound striker, even though he scored at the weekend. Just doesn't do it for me. But they're solid defensively. I like uh, people like Federico Fernandez. I think they're going to make life very difficult for Aston Villa. And as you say, all the pressure really is going to be on Dean Smith's side. For Newcastle now, it's almost a free hit for the rest of the season. Finish as high as they can on the table and maybe try and cause an upset in the FA Cup.
2: Uh, Villa uh,
4: are coached
2: and managed by a former central defender in Dean Smith and a former central defender in John Terry, a former England captain, yet cannot seem to defend. They've got the worst defence in the league and by some margin as well. Let's move on to Burnley. Certainly that can't be levelled at them. Uh, And Watford, who actually I was quite impressed with. Their shape was excellent on Saturday against Leicester City. The way they retreated back into position stifled Leicester City. I thought they were particularly impressive. And, And what are Watford's chances of survival? Does it hinge on scoring goals, Darren? Because they did create one or two opportunities against the Foxes, but didn't take them.
3: Yeah, that's been their main problem all season. I've seen Watford a lot this season and their their play has been fantastic at times. As you're right, Sarr on one side, Delafoe before he had the injury, Deeney uh decore, Kapure, these guys have been fantastic, but their problem has been all season, they're not taking not, not taking opportunities. And you just fear that if they don't sort that problem out, they're gonna be it's gonna be a long end to the season. But with their performances and Nigel Pearson, I've, I've had Nigel Pearson before. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me how defensively well organised they are because that's what he that's the position he played. It works because you can see by Watford's play the way they are defensively lined up, they are a lot more solid. And when you've got the pace that they've got then it's, they're always gonna hurt teams. So for me I think Watford will be Totally fine because I, I really like the way they play. But they've just got to sort out this this thing of taking their opportunities. They've got to take their chances. Cause a lot of the games as well, they're on top, they're they're comfortable, but when they don't score in that period they might give up another chance and end up conceding, but I don't expect Watford to to struggle towards now and the end of the season. I do believe they will stay up quite comfortably.
2: Nigel Pearson was brilliant at the weekend, apart from the fact that he was ribbing
4: my shorts that I was wearing. Uh, but he was brilliant. What was that outfit, by the way? What was that some kind of bet, Let, Lucy? We need to get a picture yeah. of this for the podcast. What on earth were you wearing? I'm not a fashion guru. Quite my clearly. word, Darren! You need to see this. Darren would have been shorts, impressed. chino, and shorts. a blazer. White t-shirt yeah. and a blazer.
6: I've got the picture here of your outfit, Sam, so do you want me to get down to have a little look at it? Yeah,
2: in? if you want to.
3: No, I, I need to see it. Hey, that's not bad, that, Sam. I don't mind that.
2: Yeah. Are you joking? See, I'm taking might- fashion points off this guy. This guy knows how to rock an outfit. You, on the other hand, Mr Crook, haven't got a clue. Um, Darren, do you think <laughs> you've done well on your uh, on your debut? Have you scored on your debut of the Game Day Preview podcast? I think I, I think we can say that you have.
3: Uh, oh, that's good then. Yep, yeah, nice little posting in. I'll, I'll yeah. take one of those. Yep. Yeah, yeah, nice.
2: yeah. Good. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today, Darren Bent, former England international, Alex Crook. Uh, live commentaries uh, galore on midweek game day: Leicester versus Brighton, Tottenham versus West Ham back to back on Tuesday. Manchester United versus Sheffield United on Talksport at six o'clock on Wednesday and Wolves against Bournemouth at the same time on TalkSport 2 you can download the app and flick between the two TalkSport and TalkSport 2 very easy indeed we will be back with Darren Lewis on Friday morning stay safe and work on those Mike Dean tribute beards yeah you too Jane